Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. Hello, and welcome to Champions of Psychology, a show with the goal of openly talking about mental health and gaming presented by Codename Entertainment and TakeThis.org. Every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time here on Twitch.tv slash Games or later on your favorite podcast service, Mitra Jordan and Rafael Bucamazzo, a.k.a. Dr. B, talk about mental health in these unprecedented times as well as how gaming affects us. If you're here with us live in the chat, you can leave a question that I, Trevor Bettis, will, might ask them later in the show. Um, but our topic today is going to be burnout. But before that, Mitra, Dr. B, who are you for the fine people who may not know? Uh, so I'm a registered clinical counselor working in Victoria, British Columbia, and I uh, work primarily with adults and adolescents and sometimes families and couples. Basically, I'll work with most people. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. Um, I am uh, Dr. B. I'm a doctor of clinical psychology, and uh, but apparently I'm Mitra today. This is... The, this is oh, oh. Right. <laughs> and oh, that's the best. This is fantastic. Go. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Let, I'm gonna reach to the screen and give you my bow tie, and I need to be more. Healthy. That's what right, I'm I gonna do. I flipped you. I flipped you. I got you. <laughs> You um, need to be more I, even when we started this call, I was like, all right, I'm going to move Mitra here because that's correct. It wasn't correct at all. <laughs> I, I, I saw the chat saying, you know, Dr. B and Mitra look different today. And I, I'm kind of thinking, I'm wearing, I mean, I am wearing my seersucker vest. It's getting warmer. <laughs> but the, hi, everybody. I'm Dr. B, uh, correctly now. And... I'm a doctor of clinical psychology. I'm the clinical director over at a fantastic mental health nonprofit, Take This, um, expert on the applied use of games in clinical and learning settings. Um, I'm a Leo. I, uh... <laughs> How do you feel about long walks on the beach? Uh, they're sandy. They're sandy. <laughs> I don't appreciate that. It's a sensory thing. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, yeah, so today we're talking about burnout. Woo! Whoa. <laughs> um, yeah. So where do you all want to start with this? Should we start with what is burnout for those who may not know? Because some people may be like, why are they talking about a, a car racing franchise this week? That's different. <laughs> I mean, we, we do have a real breadth of topics here at Champions of Psychology. <laughs> but, uh... We opened the show with just Paradise. City playing. Yeah, <laughs> I'd watch that. <laughs> uh, oh, you oh, want to take this, Mitra, or you want me to take this? Uh, sure. I think that um, what is burnout? We talked about this. I want. I'd love for you to define the Maslach model that we talked about yesterday. But generally, burnout is a term that's used very frequently in culture. Um, we use it really casually. Uh, we use it to express frustration and exhaustion um, in the moment, 
but that doesn't mean that that's all it is. In fact, there are there's a specific understanding of what the term means, and for that, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. B. And then I have some things to say about burnout in culture. So. <laughs> oh, I'm getting ready for this. Um, oh yeah, we're we're oh, yeah, we're ready. So ready. Um, <laughs> well, so burnout is a essentially it's a chronic psychological condition that has it's a relatively new concept uh, by name in the last couple decades and when we talk about it often we talk about it just as being overworked and exhausted and that's that's an important factor but that's one of only three factors three in um the most commonly cited model that i see which was created by someone named christine maslach um exhaustion's part of it yes overworking is part of it but so is a sense of ineffectiveness maybe maybe you have no sense of control over what you do. Nothing you're going to do makes a difference in your mind. That you have, mm. um, that's a huge part of this. But also a cynicism, a sort of disconnect, negativity, anger. That it, it, It's not coincidental that there is a significant overlap between symptoms of depression and symptoms of burnout. Because, mm. um, you know, we've talked about this before. One of the more common models of depression is uh, basically I suck, the world sucks, and nothing is ever going to change. Well, mm -hmm. there's that sense of I'm useless at my job, I'm ineffective, everything's awful, and I'm overworked. That's what goes into burnout, which is why just taking a vacation doesn't fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that Sunday night before you go back after a vacation. Oh, yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, Sunday night anxiety. Mm-hmm. They could do a whole episode about that mm -hmm. one. <laughs> Being Saturday versus Sunday. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. um, so what, what, was, what was it that you wanted to add to that, Mitra? Okay, so I think part of the challenge with burnout is, of course, the isolation that you feel um, and that sense that somehow it's your fault. And I think that burnout or feeling burned out gets really stigmatized. It, it has this sort of implication that I can't handle things or, you know what, you can't handle it. Can't can't stand the heat. Get out of the kitchen. You know you can't cope with this. Oh, maybe you're not cut out to do this job like the rest mm -hmm. of us. <laughs> you know it's got that kind of feel to it, and so it becomes this burnout is you know my problem, or if it's someone else's, oh well that's your problem. You know have you tried self care? You know, um, and so there's this idea that there's something I should be doing different, as opposed to uh, sometimes burnout is systemic. Like if we look at our healthcare workers right now. You don't think they're, you know, they're probably mm. feeling quite burned out. And I think mm -hmm. that that makes perfect sense given what they've been through. And so for some people, it can involve experiencing trauma in the workplace as well. Um, for some people, it can be about experiencing systemic racism year after year. Um, sometimes it's a gender issue. You know, when I worked in professional kitchens, I was often the only woman in the kitchen. And it was exhausting at times just because uh, there was so much misogyny <clears throat> at that point. Mm. So you can have all of these uh, contextual and systemic reasons for experiencing burnout. But when we talk about it or when it's being addressed in terms of self-care, it's often being addressed on the individual level only. And that's one of the reasons it's so hard to overcome. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, that you know, this is something we talk about in the game industry a lot um one of one of the things that is known to contribute 
to a sense of burnout, especially that sense of ineffectiveness and cynicism that I mentioned, is mm -hmm. that fairness factor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you exist in a system of inequity, that, I mean, there's a reason women are more disproportionately affected by mm -hmm. burnout. Um, they, you know, it, it, there's so much disconnect when you don't experience a fit basically a sense of belonging you know we talked we talked uh, we talked about in the in a previous episode uh the the resilience provided by that sense of belonging when it comes to the workplace that sense of distance that sense of alienation can greatly contribute to burnout and there's not a whole you know like mitra very wisely brought up this is part of the reason that burnout solutions that we're given are often ineffective. Yeah, they can work for that exhaustion factor, but they can't fix the system that that is leading to burnout. That has to come from the top down. <laughs> okay. Uh, so with those things in mind, wh where do you want to take this conversation from here about what to do with burnout? Oh, God. God, I, I mean, there's it's such a it's such a huge issue because, I mean, right now we've got this sort we've got pandemic fatigue on top of everything else. Yeah. And there yeah. are there are so many companies. Um, so uh, uh, taking this back a moment, one of the things that take this does and I think we do really, really well um, is we do we do consultation with companies about mental wellness policies, uh, managerial structures, that sort of thing. And there have been numerous companies that I've talked to over the course of the last year, and I've asked them a series of, in my mind, very simple questions. But they're very simple questions that they often don't have answers to, and or at least hadn't thought about. And the, the question is, as we're in the middle of a global generational trauma that will be written about in history books. Mm -hmm. As we are in the middle of transitioning your company to entirely work from home, mm. which is a new skill set for a lot of people, yeah. as we are adding, adding, not changing, but adding parental and educator responsibilities to so many caregivers, as we are adding all of the collective stress of this, have you shifted your expectations of productivity in the workplace? And more often than not, the answer I get is, oh. That in and of itself is telling that we, people are absolutely going to get exhausted from that because their, their entire life has been upended. But also, how many of us, taking this out of the workplace, how many of us are doing what we can to protect others through this pandemic, only to see pictures of people having big weddings unmasked? Oh. Or wearing their masks under their nose. Right. I don't understand. <sighs> Why did you put one on? Mm -hmm. I just want to say mm -hmm. it's not um, going to help my, you. My wife and I, our wedding anniversary was last Friday. 
And so we were like, okay, we need to do something that's not in the house. So we got in the car and drove and we stayed in the car the whole time. And like, we went to one area that had a really nice view of the beach. And I couldn't believe that we got the parking spot that we did. And we sat there and looked at everything. And so many people walked by with it under their, their nose. And I just wanted to shout, the, I just started shouting at them through the window. Like, why are you even wearing one? Like, what was the, what was the point? Uh, <laughs> and my wife's like, this, we're supposed to be having a good time. I'm like, I know, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just I'm sorry. I, I, I got to give a quick shout out to a buddy of mine, uh, Stephen Machuga, who's the CEO over at Stack Up. And uh, they're a fantastic military-based nonprofit, and they do great uh, mental health services for the military. And he has a big mask that just says, it goes over your nose. And he just <laughs> stares at people. Yeah. I like that. I like that. <clears throat> I think it's that, you know, I understand that certainly when you're outside, there might be different rules depending on who's around, who's not around about the wearing of masks. And I appreciate that it can be confusing at times. <clears throat> and it's certainly different region to region, depending on how much vaccination, if any. So here in BC, uh, there's the elders are being vaccinated right now, but not mm -hmm. really anyone else. Elders, healthcare workers, that's kind of it at the moment as we ramp up to the next phase. Um, so wearing masks is still very, very important, uh, keeping your distance, all of that. Um, but as you say, part of the challenge with all of this is that there is a huge pandemic fatigue burnout, plus still trying to do other aspects of your life, plus the onus is on you, the individual, often to kind of make it work. And as you say, if you're trying to protect more vulnerable family members, that makes it really, really difficult. So, mm -hmm. yeah, one of the things that really contributes to burnout is that sense of isolation, not having enough support or understanding around you, not perhaps having enough support from your employers. Um, or enough uh, downtime at home. You might have young children as well. And these are all contributing in mm -hmm. a big way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the one of the things, uh, you know, I'm already seeing this in the chat. In, in the chat. Um, somebody mentioned after work, who doesn't feel burnt out? I, I want to make it clear that there's a difference between just kind of feeling exhausted yeah. from a hard day of work, which... A lot of us feel sure, especially, you know, if you've got an intense job, it's easy to feel burnout in a sort of a colloquial sense. Um, but what we're talking about in terms of burnout is a chronic psychological condition that comes from o overwork, that disconnect, that cynicism and not giving a crap about yourself, your job, anything, as well as a sense of feeling useless or ineffective at work over a long period of time. And that uh, there, th this isn't just, you know, you take a break, you take a vacation and it's better. This is, a, a, as Mitra said, a systemic issue, more often yeah. than not, at least mm -hmm. in my experience. Yeah, this isn't about uh, I've had a really busy few months at work or I work as an accountant and it's tax season. You know, this is this is much more about I just don't feel I can do another day. And I'm not mm. talking about suicidal ideation or thoughts. It's more the sense of I am just I have given everything I can and I am just so wiped out. I just don't even know how I'm going to be how I'm going to deal with tomorrow because I'm just I'm just so tired. I'm just yeah. so and it's it's like a bone deep fatigue that's mm -hmm. uh, less in the body and more in the mind and even the heart. Um, 
So a separate example, <clears throat> I've worked with a number of people who have gone through really, really painful divorce and separation. Um, and it's that place you would get to if you didn't have enough money to pay your lawyer um, and you've got, you know, uh, you think you're going to lose your kids and you're worried about you're going to lose your house too. It's that kind of space. Mm -hmm. It's the just you're, you feel this sense of isolation. There's not enough people to help. Uh, you feel pushed against a wall um, and you feel like you don't have the resources to make that leap to whatever the next level of coping would be. The going back a little bit to, to examples you are given, like it's making me think like I've talked about on the show, the office job that I had that I absolutely hated. Yeah. And you were talking about like cynicism and, and hopelessness. I legitimately remember going for a walk with some of my coworkers during our lunch break and just and like saying with a laugh, like, oh, yeah, if they start doing layoffs, I'm the first to go. Like just straight up, like I, I, they need me for this job, but I guarantee you, I'm gonna be out first. And I was right, which didn't make that anything better. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, like just I had this complete cynicism, like, oh yeah, no, if they start laying people off, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here, and like just kind of accepting that, and and even what you're saying with vacations, where vacations aren't the answer to burnout, like. Well, they can be the when answer I, to one piece of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, well, yeah, like overall, because like I would during the vacation time, I'd be like, "This is great. I'm, I, I have this weight off my shoulders. Everything is fine." But then, like, yeah, like I was saying, that Sunday night before, yeah. I was legitimately having thoughts of like, I could just not go back. Like, I, I don't want this feeling to stop. I could just not go back, and I'll figure it out, and it'll be fine, and just staying up at night because I did not want to go there so bad that I didn't care how much it would mess with my life. I didn't want to go back there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. That's definitely being burnt out from at least that, that specific situation. And, and the, the other pieces, when you find yourself doing all kinds of other things in order to cope with the job. Uh, so at one point I worked in a, I worked a job where I was just, um, I felt constantly anxious and unhappy there. <clears throat> and I ended up getting the, these terrible eczema-related breakouts on my hands and my feet. And my hands and feet felt like they were burning all the time. And we're, at that point, I was in food service, so you're working with your hands and you just mm. can't. And it was just, it was just awful. But that's how bad it had, it had got that now I was having to deal with all of the other symptoms related uh, to that, to going into that environment. Um, and I was having to sort of deal with medical, you know, solutions for those symptoms. And I mm -hmm. think that that's often a piece of the burnout experience is all of the things that you're doing in order to cope with this environment or situation that's starting to feel really unhealthy for you. <clears throat> yeah. And um, one of the one of the things that uh, I know is talked about in uh, one of the now many books I own on this topic, because I it's maybe not coincidental that in the last two months, uh, we've been getting a lot of requests that take this. Do you have any experience talking about burnout? And mm -hmm. well, I'm, to, I'm, to, I'm talking about it tomorrow to a bunch of students as well. Um but one of the things that uh, was suggested in one of these books is thinking about things from uh, from the six six factors of contribution. 
Okay, like breaking it down and what are the things that are contributing to your sense of burnout. Now, workload certainly might be one of them. Okay, if you're having too much work assigned or if your work is assigned in a way that is not doable for you. It's, um, you know, I, I have I've said to people that with autism, I especially the way my autism manifests, I would have a very difficult time working in a traditional office job nine to five and thriving, be at least without significant accommodations. But a sense of control or autonomy in your workplace can be a big factor as well. Um, I, you know, I, I think we've, you know, we've all worked meaning we've all worked customer service. We've all worked either, you know, customer service, food service, any sort of service based job. And it's a, I, I think it's a very different experience in having a supportive manager who backs you oh against oh, yes. a, who yes. is willing to back you against really horrible customers as opposed to letting them roll all over you. If you have enough of a sense of control that you can go to that, uh, go to that manager um, and say, hey, here's what happened. And they're like, no, I see that. Mm-hmm. Good. No, I got you. That is a very different experience. But reward is another thing that can contribute to, to burnout, um, whether that is monetary rewards or emotional reinforcers basically the job is not can not it's not feeding your soul mm-hmm. or it's not feeding your pocketbook in either case if there's a disconnect between how much work you're putting in versus how much you're getting out of it whether it's fiscally or emotionally that can also contribute to work to burnout but community yes. is another thing if you don't fit with the environment if you feel mm-hmm. isolated and alone like mitra said that's another factor. Fairness we already talked about. It's hard to, again, this is part of the reason burnout disproportionately affects women is we live in, I mean, we live in a patriarchal society. Mm -hmm. There's, I'm not going to mince words about that. Um, Women are still treated disproportionately badly in the workplace. Um, But also if there's a value thing, there's also values if I'm doing a job that does not line up with my values, like if I'm a, com- I, if I'm working for a company who does something I hate, and I'm commission based, and I'm going to only get a paycheck if I sell something to somebody that I think is immoral, I'm gonna burn out real quickly. So those are the six things, workload, control, reward, community, fairness, and values that are uh, that actually same. Christine Maslach, I'm basically just reading all of her stuff um, <laughs> with some other people co-writing a lot of this stuff. But um, she suggested thinking about it in terms of those. And once you can break it down to which of those is contributing to your burnout, well, that gives you an idea of what the solutions may be, whether it's systemic or it's individual. Yeah, wow. That that was fantastic. Yeah, this I've is been reading. People. Yes. <laughs> and it's a boon for all of us. <laughs> but yeah, when I work with people, it's often it it always is at least one of those things, if not more of them, you know, mm-hmm. because often it's not just one, right? You're feeling a lack of financial reward. Uh, maybe you're also feeling a, a lack of safety in the workplace or a lack of fairness in terms of equality. So, yeah. 
I was going somewhere with that. ADHD kicked in. ADHD brain. Yeah, there we go. There we go. It makes an appearance every episode. Uh, Either you or me or both. (laughs) Don't leave me out of it. (laughs) I wasn't last week where all three of us did. It was fantastic. It was great. Um, Yeah, the. there is one other part of this I, I want to get to, but the the man the when you talked about the supportive manager, like that that hit me in the soul. Like mm-hmm. going from an office where I was not trained at all, and then they yelled at me for not getting work done, to which I then reminded them they hadn't showed me how to do, to which they then told me was my fault. Yeah. To going to working at a bookstore where. I had a manager that was probably the nicest, most supportive person I've ever worked for in my life. And like my numbers uh, for uh, for what we calculate started going down. And he was like, hey, I know you're a good worker and this isn't out of the norm. What is, is it something that's going on with like, am I not helping you the way I need to? Mm-hmm. And that and him saying I was just like what (laughs) What? it's what (laughs) um but uh there there was there's a part of this that i didn't want to get to because it 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 brought up some good stuff yesterday in our meeting what is what's the magic question and what does that have to do with burnout oh man before me before mitra goes on a a wonderful mitra rant about this i i i have to say it is it when properly applied, I remember using this when I worked with people, and when properly applied, it, it it's a great tool, but it is the stupidest name. That is the technical <laughs> name for this technique. It is actually called the magic question, and every psych grad student knows this. <laughs> hey, Mitra, what, what do you have to say about the magic question? Oh, so but- much! Hi, <laughs> So oh no, go for it. Oh, you want me to get into it now? Oh, we do. Okay, you don't want to explain further what the oh, magic Oh, okay. Co- yes. Yeah, so, do you um, want to just do you want to just I know, let's get you to do this because yesterday, yesterday where we started off, sorry, we always do a sort of uh conversation before the stream about where we're going and you know. Mm-hmm. Um yesterday was I think I asked Trevor a good question which then <laughs> devolved. No, I mean moved into yeah. <laughs> so I think Trevor you'd mentioned the awful job and I, I said mm. something like uh, so if there was if okay so it's really not coming if, if something were if you were to look at your life what was it that and you were to know that uh, things were better what mm. would you notice? What's the first thing that would be different, right? At mm. which point you jumped in with, ha ha, that magic question. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, to gosh, which, right, To right. which me, playing the role of Trevor, went, what? What? <laughs> what? He's brilliant in the role of Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so how's about we define that magic question? And you, okay. you so beautifully set it out yesterday. <laughs> So I'm sure um, everybody wants to know. <laughs> the magic question is something that's used in in um, a very brief form of therapy called uh, solution oriented therapy, and the magic question is designed to get you to think about solutions and actionable steps and differences in your environment and directions that you can go in. But um, when misapplied, it just sounds really patronizing. Um, really patronizing. <laughs> 
but the the question is this. So Trevor. Hi. Hey. Um so let's say you you go to bed tonight and in your sleep something comes along and magically solves all your problems. Just boom, critical roll. All your problems are solved. But you don't know it cuz you're asleep. Now when you wake up tomorrow, what are you going to notice? That's different in you, that's different in your environment, that's different in how other people are acting towards you. What's going to be different that lets you know all of your problems were solved? And see, when you when you ask this, my first instinct was to go, everything. Well, let's I just noticed everything. And explaining it like like I hate to make this a comical joke, but like if I legitimately try to picture that in my head, it just turns my vision into like a Disney film. Like there's birds flying through singing and stuff. Like everything is great. And and I, like I like trying to get it serious, I I don't know. And I think I think that's one of the annoying things about like m- like anxiety and depressions. You don't always know what it is. <laughs> right. So now if you were to go through this whole magic question thing seriously, they'd have you say, okay, okay. Uh, so you walks into your bathrooms. I mean, they wouldn't say it like that. But... <laughs> and you notices yourself in the mirrors. <laughs> what do where you is see? This, where is this therapist from? <laughs> This what, therapist what? is Gungan, I think. <laughs> Where did I go to find this therapist? A galaxy far, far away. Oh, very far, very far. But you goes into the bathrooms and you notice your toothbrush is different. No, um, it's just that it does. They, they actually do get into the specifics about what's the first thing you notice? What's the second thing you notice? What's the third thing you don't, you know? Um, and, and part of the challenge with it from where I sit is that it can be such a freaking disrespectful question. And it's just, it's just that it, it seems like to, in solution focused brief therapy, what happens is it feels like this is your hammer and everything is a nail. And I'm talking about when it's misapplied. And, and this is why I get so irritated because because in my training, I remember watching this role play and I remember feeling like, oh God, I'm dying. Like, here's this person and they've got so many challenges that they're experiencing. And at no point does it feel like the therapist is validating their experience at all. You know, you very quickly get into this like, oh yeah, I hear, you know, that's that's kind of tough. Um, so how would you like things to be different? It's like, did you hear anything I said? And of course, the problem is it's very individually based as opposed to being contextually based. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what would be different in my life? Well, as you say, it's like, well, if I woke up the next morning, maybe there'd be love in my life or maybe there'd be a boss who appreciated me or maybe there'd be, you know, it's like magic and it's like unicorns Mm -hmm. and it's like rainbows. And of course, that's not the... That's not actually the purpose, and, and, and that's not really what's useful about therapy. I will say this is a question that, when applied correctly, can be very, very useful. That okay. doesn't mean I don't have a hate on for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, if, when, mis- when misapplied, it really does have that sort of Mr. Mackey oh. uh, school, you know, really bad school counselor kind of vibe to it. Um, 
and I, I hate I hate it when school counselors get ripped on, uh, even though I just kind of did, because um, they're so wonderful. I love all the school counselors in my life, <laughs> uh, but the stereotype is just so awful. Oh, it really is. There was a there was a piece that that you'd said yesterday that I thought was kind of um, quite useful in some ways. Um, you say many useful things. This is not- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, but it was completely useless in other contexts. In other contexts, <laughs> throw it in the sea. <laughs> Throw it in the sea. In the sea. I'm, I'm, that's how I'm just going to describe getting rid of stuff now. Where, where'd, the, where'd the set of spoons go? I throw it in the sea. Yes, for us coastal people, it's kind of handy. Um, so, what? What I when you mentioned the the magic question, you were asking it of Trevor. One of the things you said was, um, one of the things you'd said yesterday. I mean, was. When you wake up, because you will have been asleep, you will not have noticed any of the changes. And that's Mm -hmm. a key part, so that when you get up, if things were different, what would you notice? Um, And of course, the purpose of this, and it can be asked in so many ways. I remember one therapist saying, I ask this of people when they first come to see me. And it goes like, so, if at the end of our work together, um, you feel done, and you're leaving, and you feel like your life is better, what would you be thanking, not me, the therapist, but what would you be grateful for? What would be, what would you be really happy about that was different? So people find all kinds of ways of saying this magic question. They're not mm-hmm. always asking it directly in the, you're asleep, and then when you wake up, you know, <laughs> unicorns, <laughs> rainbows, it's perfect, you know, but... <laughs> But they're but they're finding these more subtle ways to say if things were better, what else would be happening? Mm-hmm. What would be part of the better? The the challenge again with all this is the individual nature of the question. Uh, we're not mm-hmm. really addressing context and societal uh, influences or effects on our life. So, yeah. well, and that's you know back back when back when I was a, a therapy given person. Um, <laughs> Back in my therapy really, really days. Fits the, uh, really fits the vest you're wearing. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, back really in the days when I was a therapy kind of person. Uh, <laughs> now, the, one of the, when people would bring up that you know things would be different or, God, I don't even know where to begin, that was always a really interesting opportunity for empathy. Um. Because I remember saying this on numerous occasions. So the stuff that is really overloading you is the stuff that isn't in your control. So it's going to be hard. You're overwhelmed to find a solution, an individual solution to stuff that you don't have any control over. What you're talking about is everything in your environment and nothing with you. And, you know, that and that would bring a whole new spin on it, talking about, you know, being able to empathize with the fact that there were all these systemic factors that were overloading this. I mean, uh, overloading the person. I often worked with uh, autistic teens. And as I've said on numerous occasions, being autistic myself, you know, we exist in a world not built for us. We're Linux in a Windows world and we're expected to be Windows. It just doesn't work. That in and of itself creates social burnout often um burnout is not a thing that is as far as i know not a thing that is necessarily isolated to the workplace Mm. yeah yeah 
Absolutely. We can be, and we can be functioning in other contexts and burnt out in, in others. So for example, somebody who's experienced um, a lot of uh, um, issues around race. Um, I think last last time when we were talking about the question of where are you from um, or the question of, you know, that sense of belonging, you can feel very burnt out on that stuff. You can feel very tired of trying to uh, explain or express your position or your experience to people, right, as well. But you might feel fine going to your job. Um, you know, you might feel good in that bookstore. You know, it might not be uh, affecting other aspects of your life as much. You might go to work and feel burnt out, but you might feel quite rested coming home. So there's, it can eventually, of course, it will eventually affect other aspects of your life. Mm -hmm. So that's part of how we make sense of whether it's happening for us, actually, is to pay attention. Where am I feeling fatigued? What can I cope with? Um, what sorts of breaks can I take? Because we want to try and not get to that burnout point place. Mm -hmm. Um, let's take a quick break to remind viewers and listeners of our disclaimer for the show as read by the lovely Lauren Urban, who is moderating today. And thank you, Lauren, for doing that. I'm going to listen to uh, this. Okay, here we go. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment. I, I'm going to put that on before I go to sleep. That's just going to lull me to sleep, is that disclaimer. <laughs> Listening um, to Lauren read the things I write. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we are getting, uh, you know, in the, the latter half of the show, do you want to talk, because we have on the, the list of things is uh, EAPs. Oh, yes. Do you want to talk about that? Sure, we can talk briefly about them. I mean, okay. I think they're they're a useful thing for people to know about. So sometimes when people are uh, having challenges either in the workplace or sometimes it's just to do with a, a life event that's really challenging, like a uh, like a death, <clears throat> um, for example. Uh, so someone in your HR department might suggest you contact an EAP. So that is your employee assistance program. Um, and we have them in both Canada and in the U.S. And your, if you call your employee assistance program, so you have one of two things. Some places have an employee assistance program. <clears throat> Some will just give you a health benefit, um, a certain amount of, of uh, uh, money towards seeing a therapist, which that's great because then you get to see the therapist of your choosing. Um and you can see them for as long as you like, and your work environment or your insurance will cover about, uh, say, $500 is quite common, actually, where I live. I don't know how much is common where you are. Um, and of course, in some places in the world, we are able to get uh, that kind of health coverage indefinitely. But that's very rare. Mm -hmm. um, 
Anyway, if you end up having an employee assistance program at your employment, um, there are some cautions around that that people often don't know. Shall I go into those? Or oh, no, please. Ah, okay, then, fine. Hey, Trevor, but interrupt if there's this? anything different. <laughs> yep. Yeah, okay, let's do it. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. Okay, no, uh, go, Mitra, go ahead. Yeah, no, we're, we're, ready. we're ready. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, we're no. We're for it. Yep. All right. <clears throat> In case you've noticed, my fine companions here think I might have an issue or two with employee assistance programs. Oh, no, we're not, we're not, you know, we're just, we're just here. Don't, don't mind us. You, no, no, uh, you keep going. You've got great things mm-hmm. to say. We real. this mm-hmm. is awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. I have several beefs, obviously, with employee assistance programs. They're good beef ones, too. Beef number one. Beef number one. Um, in Canada, you so you contact your employee assistance program. They line you up with a therapist. There's things they don't tell you that you need to know. Thing one, the employee assistance program has contracted the therapist to work with you for the duration of the program, but not after. Generally, the contract will stipulate that that therapist actually can't see you beyond the confines of the program. So you meet a therapist you really like, and you go, oh, you can see me for, say, six sessions through this program. I would love to hire you privately after that. Good luck to you. You can't do that. That's not part of the contract. That's the first thing that irritates me. The second thing that really annoys me is you're not told that you have a limit of four to six sessions, and that if you want more sessions with this person, you usually have to reapply. Now, sometimes that's not a problem, but your uh, therapist will have to fill out a bunch of paperwork as to why you want more sessions, and some of this paperwork may or may not get back to your employer. They say that it's confidential, but I have had um, many therapists I've known personally who've talked to their employee assistance clients and said, okay, I'm going to be very careful filling out this paperwork. What do you want me to say? And I've had some clients who've been really afraid to go see therapists on employee, employee assistance programs, depending on the reason they're there. So, for example, if someone is experiencing a lot of fatigue at work or a workplace injury, um, they want to they they might be really afraid of talking honestly with the therapist about how well they're feeling or how ill they're feeling in because of how this may get interpreted in their workplace um so it confidentiality is supposed to be airtight but the challenge with being a therapist who works through employee assistance is that you actually are working for two people you are contracted by the employee assistance program you are working on behalf of your client. These two things can get very muddy. And as someone who's done supervision of those therapists, I can tell you firsthand that it can be a very difficult path to walk. And I can also tell you, I will never work for an EAP. So I think that's basically the gist of it. Well <laughs> Did said. I miss anything well in said. the ra- it's rant a good from rant. yesterday? Uh-huh. Excellent. Yeah. No, no. So that's, that's where I really... I really feel that they're, the EAPs are not in service of the client, and nor are they in service of the therapist, and that's a real problem. So, well, and that's and that's often a complaint that people have about human resources as well. Um, that the HR department is very often there to protect the company and not yep. the employee. Yep. Yes. Um, and that's that can, you know, that that's a problem when they're the ones 
that can be a problem. I should say it's not always a problem because you know, like any like anything, there are differences at different companies, and at large companies, mm-hmm. there's even differences within teams. So, they, you know, some are more altruistic than others. But um, one of the things that some of the researchers on burnout talk about is the idea of, yeah, there might be individualized solutions for you to do to take time off or have accommodations, but there's also still internalized and, uh, and societal stigma against disabilities in the workplace um, that you're not pulling your weight. And that mm-hmm. is that is another systemic issue and we we see this with mental health accommodations as well all Um, the time all the time well and i i've i've talked about this personally i I think on the show that uh, you know there exists especially during the pandemic like costco for me costco is the first circle of autism hell and um I, 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 get, I get panic attacks a lot of the time going to Costco because they change where everything is. Oh, People God. are going in every directions with heavy carts. There are children running around me. Um, I'm trying to pay attention to my shopping list while look around, looking around at all this stuff. And there are people offering samples. It's an overstimulation nightmare. Um, and there are times for like going to Costco if you have some sort of accessibility issue or, or vulnerability due to the pandemic. And I didn't go and utilize that, which is my legal right, because the panic attacks are easier than having to explain disability to people when I am able-bodied. Absolutely. Um, and that is a huge obstacle to, to addressing some of this stuff in the workplace is that internalized sense of stigma. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. St- stigma on on burnout, I I think is is a big one. Um, one of them that that I talked about yesterday, that I wanted to bring up was like there is a stigma in uh, against certain type of jobs. Like, say you work at IGN and you review games, and you're like, man, I I th- I'm feeling really burnt out on this. Like, I I'm not getting the same thing I did out. And people are like, but you play games for a living, and it's like, well, no, that that's that's the thing. That yeah. is their living. That is their job. They have to hit a deadline on that game that about, you know, 45 minutes in, they're like, crap, I kind of hate this. And they got to get through it. Same thing with, with Twitch streamers and whatnot is like, uh, you know, people experience burnout. They're like, but you play games and just sit. But no, because I think, think about it. You, you, like I said, with the whole like Twitch being like a Comic-Con panel, it's you're there with everyone's eyes on you, which is stress-inducing enough. And then there's everything else on top of it. Yeah, and that actually really relates to streamers and Zoom fatigue. Um, So Mm. there's research recently out of Stanford about Zoom fatigue and what's happening with that uh, in terms of um, how we are as embodied people and why we might be finding Zoom particularly stressful. Mm -hmm. And so that's really contributing to a lot of burnout, both in the workplace and, of course, for anyone who's a real, you know, trying to establish a presence on social media makes it even worse. So um, the first one is we're not used to seeing ourselves on camera. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a source of fatigue. Um, and because now we're managing the mental load of not only the other people that we're having conversations with, but also how do I feel about seeing myself mm-hmm. on camera? It's this kind of critical feedback loop, and it adds to the mental load we experience in conversations. Um, and then when you're on a video chat, you're not as mobile um, because that's distracting to the conversation. So you're finding yourself sitting more still, which isn't a natural state 
for mm-hmm. our bodies. So that really contributes. Um, and also, um, we actually look away a lot when we're talking in person because eye contact is actually really activating. We use the word arousing and take your minds out of the gutter. No, I was thinking uh, I'm autistic. I definitely yeah. don't look people in the eyes a lot. Right? Because, But then when you're, when you're on camera and you feel to some degree that you kind of have to in order to feel a connection with your audience, that adds to the stress that... Uh, that certainly we experience. And then also um, faces in camera can be much closer up and that can be really stressful to people because it's not the typical distance that we would normally experience when talking to people. So it feels like uh, a bit of an invasion in terms of personal space. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I mentioned that because it it really does relate to burnout, particularly at this point. Yeah. Um, So... Uh, again, we're now closer to the end of the show, but we got a few questions that came up in chat uh, that I, I think would be good. Uh, let's see which one. Oh, this one came up uh, earlier. Dr. B mentioned it briefly. Was uh, This is uh, Calico Shadow says, uh, is there such a thing as educational burnout? Like going to school so long that you just can't get motivated to do anything school-wise? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <That> laughs in grad student. <laughs> Um, every, I, I don't know about you, Mitra, but everybody I went to school with, um, especially by the end, I, 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 you know, when you think about, especially graduate school, but even, even, you know, college, you don't have a whole lot of control over what you have to learn. And some of it may be boring. Some of it, well, some some of it's definitely bored. (laughs) Statistics. Uh, yeah. Um, but you still have to learn it. And as one of my psych professors in grad school said, if we gave things to you at a reasonable pace, you'd be here for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so they know it's way too much information. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, if we think about school as a workplace setting, then absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is. And I think it's also exhausting because not only are you supposed to take it in at a rapid rate, but then you're also supposed to find coherent ways to actually uh, express it, spew it out, as it were, also at a rapid rate. Um, And that level of continually having to perform is exhausting. So it absolutely relates to um, workplace and uh, educational experiences. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, no, the, I, I have a I have a really good friend who is getting her doctorate right now and is also teaching uh, as part of that program. And so I, I'm, I'm witnessing her having the student and the teacher stress at the exact same time. And I just, I don't, I'm always trying to be like, are you okay? You need talk? <laughs> you good? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I, I, I'm going to call this out. Uh, M- Monkey House, you, you put a really good question uh, in the chat. And um, I'm actually going to bring up to uh, the other two here later about possibly making that next week's episode. So we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that one. Um, but uh, Grimmer then said, question. Uh, the discussion has talked a lot about coping strategies on behalf of the person experiencing burnout. What other ways can people identify environments that uh, are either negative or positive? 
Um, I think, you know, the, so the book that I brought the, since I've got a good chunk of my burnout books right here, because I, <laughs> I knew I would be going to at least one of them. Um, the, the book that really, I think, lays it out nicely in terms of accessibility and factors, uh, factors to consider is uh, Banishing Burnout by Michael Leiter and Christina Maslach. And that's the one that goes through the, the the six things I mentioned earlier about, you know, is this a community fit? Is this a fairness fit? Is this a values fit? Is this a workload fit? Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it's, it, those are things to consider. Because some of them may, you know, if you've got a values fit, but you're overworked and you feel isolated, then that's going to be a different set of solutions than... Uh, someone who, you know, is low on ev all six of those factors. Yeah, I think that something that's really important to uh, that we need to take into account is sometimes you're just feeling fortunate to find work, right? And and it's and it is work that may eventually lead to burnout, but I think being aware of that at the beginning of that particular journey might help because we know that we aren't always in a place in our lives to choose the experiences that we have in terms of our work like we just need a job mm -hmm. you know uh, I I remember doing some I remember working for this company where you call up about magazine subscriptions you know you sit in a room and you do the telemarketing for I mean I just remember thinking oh god the first day I walked in this is going to be awful you know, and it's definitely going to lead to my hating everyone and myself for being here. But at the time, I really needed work. And so you just kind of have to be honest with yourself about where this could go and maybe think about what your exit strategy would be. And mm -hmm. having an exit strategy, knowing that, okay, I, could, I think I can hack this for three months. What am I going to do in the meantime? That can actually be a help in terms of environment. Yeah, knowing That's there's knowing me. there's an end jobs. is important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that has definitely gotten me through some some jobs and stuff. Like, all right. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to stick to the plan, and that's how I'm going to get out of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. Well, I think that is going to do it for uh, today's yeah. episode. Uh, Mitra, Doctor B, where can people find you online? Um, well, I'm at mitrajordan.com, and my Twitter handle is at mitrajordan. And I am very available on both. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, if you follow me on the socials right below at the Doctor B with two E's, uh, then spell out Doctor. It's kind of like that Doctor Nick joke, Doctorb. But um... kind of want to <laughs> sing every time I hear it for the Doctor B. I'm not just the Doctor B. I'm the. Dr. B. There's an added level of pretension to that. <laughs> um, yeah, you can, uh, you can find me on the Difficulty Class podcast and on Champions Lore here on twitch.tv slash games every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and also on Twitter at the Trevor. There is an A hiding in there. Um, thank you to Lauren for uh, moderating today uh, and uh, getting getting those questions in there and taking care of the chat. Thank you very much for that. And thank you to Codename Entertainment. Well, and also thank you, Lauren, for reading and doing that amazing disclaimer. I mean, I, I should be doing that every episode. Just thank you that because that's amazing and fantastic. Um, 
But also thank you to Codename Entertainment and Take This for giving us an opportunity to have these discussions. Uh, if you missed any part of today's show, you can listen to it later as a podcast on any of your favorite podcast services at 2 p.m. Uh, and if you have any suggestions for future topics, you can send them into Champions of Psychology at CodenameEntertainment.com. Uh, if you're live with us right now, be sure to come back at 1 p.m. for Bark Inspiration with Dylan and Jason Miller. And I believe uh, 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 Luke Gygax is uh, the guest today. Oh, cool. Uh, I, th- yeah. I believe that's right. I th- I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah, no. Lauren will correct me if that's wrong. Uh, <laughs> but um, that's happening at 1, uh, so that's going to be a blast. Uh, but yeah, uh, thank you to everyone for watching and listening. And until next week, take care of yourself. Champions of Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of the information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your own best judgment.